0: Well, I like to, this is uh, a little bit unusual, but uh, since my dad is here, I think it is appropriate that I just say a few words, uh, just thanking him uh, for for being a dad and uh, mom as well, uh, for, uh, I, I know what kind of suffering he went through to, to immigrate with, with uh, virtually nothing in his pocket and to, uh, you know, his, his dad passed away when he was 15, so he was the man of a house of, of uh, uh, three other siblings and um, had to be mindful of them, had to earn money to send back, back home and to immigrate and to bring his mom and all of his siblings from Korea. They've all been established here and blessed in many ways. And now, 40 years later, he finally gets to enjoy some rest. And I know it's going to be tough for my dad to rest. Uh, he's a hard worker, uh, but, I, but I, I pray that this uh, last season of life will be the best season of his life, uh, spiritually in every way. Uh, I also thank mom for being the glue and being the quiet supporter of dad because I don't think dad could have achieved all that he did without the support of my mom. So uh, just happy that I get to honor them. Uh, while they're visiting on this uh, momentous occasion. So hopefully you'll get to see them more. Since they're retired, they can travel more to California. Both of his sons are here and grandchildren all here. So hopefully we'll get to fellowship more in the years to come. Okay, if you could turn with me, if there's nobody else, if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 12. I'll read a few verses starting in verse 28. Jeremiah, can we increase this mic a little bit? My voice is uh, having a little difficulty projecting. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, this is asking Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay, let's pray. Lord, as we consider a new year, We've been asking how we should live out this year, what we should focus on in this new year. Thank you for giving me these most precious verses. As we start out this year, we pray that you would reveal reveal yourself uh, through the truth of your word, because Jesus, you are the word of God. We ask that you would meet every single one of us in this place. We pray that you would change us and charge us uh, to go forward into this world uh, in this new year. Thank you, Lord. We avail ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I already kind of answered the question I wanted to start with. What what might God want us to focus on in 2024? I think you already know the answer. Uh, Many people have resolutions, goals, dreams, plans whenever A year ends, and a new year begins, Uh, but I think for the believer, it's not a bad place to start when Jesus says, these are the greatest commandments, Uh, I think we would do well. Like if we were on a deserted island, we we didn't have access to the Bible, if we just remembered and memorized these few verses, and we tried our best over the course of our lives to live them out, I think we would do well in life. I think it's that monumental what Jesus is saying here. It says in verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. This is the most important commandment, bar none. It's, It's first in terms of Uh, being primary it's also first in terms of importance it is the greatest for a reason and what is the second greatest commandment you shall love the Lord uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and there is an order here and a priority so the bulk of this message I will spend on the greatest and we will touch upon at the end the second and a question that I want you to keep in mind as you listen today is what is the relationship between the greatest and the second greatest commandments why are they number one and number two in that order verse 29 it says the lord our god the lord is one and so here clearly jesus is talking about god the father and god the son and so we might say okay let's love the lord God our Father with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if, you, and if you concluded that, you wouldn't be wrong because Jesus is the way to the Father. But I would say any time it says in Scripture, the Lord, curios, K- the Lord your God, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think in particular Jesus is saying he's talking about himself. So, if I were to rephrase this a bit, love Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, all of your strength. That is the greatest commandment. Of course, because Jesus and God are one, it includes God the Father. But in particular, when it's the Lord is mentioned, we should automatically translate oh, Jesus is talking about himself. Verse 30, it is the Lord your God, Jesus Christ. And so, how does Jesus want to be loved? It is very obvious in Scripture. It is four ways. Jesus wants to be loved with all of your heart, with all of my heart. Jesus wants to be loved with all of your soul, and all of my soul. Jesus wants to be loved with all of your mind, with all of my mind. Jesus wants to be loved with all of our collective strength. And let's define a bit what it means to that Jesus wants to be loved in these four ways. With all of your heart, it is the center. Whenever heart is mentioned, it is the center of your spiritual life. And so if you are not born again, if you're not a believer, if you haven't met Jesus yet, then this first commandment to love Jesus with your heart, you cannot do. Until your heart is revived, until it's regenerated, until you can connect spiritually, heart to heart, you you can't obey this until you meet Jesus. Once you meet him, Jesus says, I want all of your heart. That's what he's saying. And then when it says all of your soul, this can be broadly speaking, we we are a body, we are a soul, we are a spirit uh but the uh here it's it's focusing on the soul and that can be even divine uh, broken down even further into mind will emotions but because he talks about mind elsewhere and strength i think here in particular jesus is saying love me with affection your emotions." so when you come into church and you hear about the lord jesus it's not a stimulation of your mind It's your heart being stirred and affections for Christ being stirred. You're not learning information about a principle. You're trying to connect with a person. And when you meet a person, the affections must be there. Like when you meet your best friend, it's not a kind of a casual, like a like a cold meeting. But like if you haven't seen your best friend in a while, it's like there's this immediate affection. It's like you're so happy to see that person. It's been so long. This is what Jesus is saying. Love me like this with all of your heart, the center of your spiritual life, but also love me with affection, your emotions, your soul. He says, love me with all of your mind. It means understand who I am. So when you first meet Jesus, you you barely know him. Jesus says, understand who I am. Get to know me. And how do we get to know him we get to know him through the word of god and through prayer that are the those are the two primary means in which you know uh, get to understand who jesus is and you meditate on him you connect with him you pray to him you must know scripture you must pray these are the ways we love jesus with our mind and then when it says with all of our strength this is with power with force it is not dragging your feet uh, to open up your Bible. This is to the full extent of your ability and strength. You are trying your best to love Jesus. So heart, soul, mind, and strength. Notice Jesus said it begins with your heart. He wants your heart primarily. It begins with your heart. So he didn't start with the mind if if you're an academic type you might think oh i just need to understand who he is intellectually read about him learn about him and and there's no heart that's engaged that is drawn to jesus there's no affection that's being stirred jesus says i don't want that type of relationship it starts with the heart for a reason because a heart has to come alive in his presence. You have to have affections that are stirred as you spend time with him. Then your mind gets to understand who he is more and more, that, like the same way that your spouse, over years and years, you kind of understand all the nuances of the person, what they like, what they dislike. It's, it's that type of relational knowledge that grows, and your mind understands more who he is. But he begins with with your with the heart. I grew up in church, and so I had some knowledge of him intellectually, but my heart was cold toward him, my affections were turned off, and I just went out of habit. Until I met him in 1993, November. It was as if the I was the only one in the room, and a spotlight was shining only on me. I heard the shepherd call me by name. My heart was born again. I, I was able from that point forward to connect with him on a heart-to-heart basis. My affections were stirred so that no one had to check up, oh, did you read your Bible today? Did you pray today? He's, he's, he's the love of my life. He swept me off my feet. It's a romance. Of course, um, because I'm affectionate toward him, of course I'm spending time with him. It's not a tradition. It's not a chore. It, it is just life upon life. And that was, that's my testimony that began uh, since 1993 and has continued uh, off and on for those years. Scripture teaches us about the importance of the heart, in in the spiritual life. Uh, Like Matthew 15, Jesus quotes uh, from Isaiah 29, verse 13, and he's talking about religious leaders, Pharisees and scribes who are challenging Jesus. So these are experts at the Old Testament. They're the preachers and the religious leaders of it, and this is what Jesus says of them. Matthew 15, verse seven, he says, you hypocrites, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. How sad when this is, when preaching is reduced to a heart that is far from it is lip service. It's maybe words that are coming out that, are, that you can find in Scripture, but it's a commandment, a tradition of man, so far removed from my heart and my affections. And it says, your heart is far from me. So when Jesus says he wants your heart, he's saying, I want to be close heart to heart. Like there's some family members. When you think of them, your heart is right there with them. Right? Like you, you understand when Jesus says, I want a heart that's close, not far. You understand because you think of certain people in your family, immediately your heart is there with them. Like if they're suffering, you're there with them. You're, you're weeping with them. When they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing with them. It's that type of heart-to-heart connection because your hearts are close. Other people in your extended family, you think about them, and your heart is so far, So far, it's the same family. But the heart is so far. Jesus says, I don't want to be like that with you. I want your heart to be close to mine. And we know this even relationally. We know the difference. A heart that's close to somebody, a heart that's far from somebody. Jesus says, I want a heart that's close. This is talking about proximity, intimacy. Is your heart close to Jesus today? That's the first question he wants to ask all of us. Is your heart close to Jesus today? Is it far from him? We all know what that feels like. So if it's far from Jesus today, let's, starting today, let's be close to Jesus in our heart. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, speaks of many workers in the church. They say, well, we've Lord, Lord, haven't we done this for you? Haven't we cast out demons in your name and prophesied in your name and done mighty works in your name? These are workers who are doing some tremendous things and even supernatural things for the Lord. And at the end, Jesus says, I never knew you. So be, like working hard in the church doesn't guarantee that you know Jesus. This is is purely relational. And so what you apply to your closest family member, your spouse, your child, whoever your heart goes to, Jesus says, I want that. That's what I'm after. I'm after your heart. It has to be close. Don't just serve me from a distance. Don't just give me lip service from a distance. Make sure your heart and my heart are one. The same way that my father's heart and my heart are one. I want that with the church. I want that with you, brother and sister in Christ. And Ephesians was an incredible church. Just read the book of Ephesians. It's just a tremendous church that was given tremendous revelation from the Lord. It is just packed with wisdom for relationships and so much just, uh, just favor and blessing that was poured upon this church. But sadly, we read about how this church ended up. We read about them in Revelations 2. And it says uh, that, i am just paraphrase, he starts out with a list of commendations for this church. He says, you work really hard. You've, you've endured quite a lot patiently. You've, you haven't tolerated evil. Some false apostles came to you. You discerned that you were false. You exposed them. You kicked them out. Good job. You haven't grown weary in doing good. This is a great list of commendations. But he, Jesus says, but there's one thing I, I hold against you. You've lost your first love. And we might think, okay, well, the commendation list is is pretty tremendous. Shouldn't it balance out the fact that the first love was lost? The way Jesus ends that section to the church at Ephesus is, he says, if you don't recover this first love, you will lose everything. Despite all the tremendous things you've done, if you've lost first love, you've lost everything. So repent, return to me. I want your heart. For those who are married, we understand what being in love is. You've experienced it at least one time in your life, maybe multiple times if if you had crushes in high school. But you know the, the, the intensity of that first love. You know how your heart went out to the person. We call this. You know, for newlywed, it's a honeymoon stage. It's like, that person can do no wrong. Nothing they do bothers you. But at some point, it just the emotions die down. The, 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 the flutter of the heart kind of calms down. And, and then you just kind of get comfortable. Uh, and maybe you kind of start getting annoyed by things that used to not annoy you. And, and, and just people drift. The same can happen with Jesus. That you had an intensity, and so to me, that is an indication that you actually met him. There has to be a period of your life when you were madly in love with Jesus. I can go back to my years, 1993 to about 1996. I was madly in love with Jesus. In 1996, I joined officially the staff of a church. That's when spiritually I started falling because the church put me to work. And they did not prioritize my love relationship with Jesus. But when I was on my own, three years, I was madly in love with Jesus. And so now when I try to measure my temperature with Jesus now, I know when I'm cold. I know when I'm far because I've tasted this kind of first love. And I know I have a long way to go to recover so much of what I've lost over the years. Because like a marriage is... Even if the emotions die, the affections, the commitment, the love should only deepen and strengthen. It's, it's, it maybe the, the shallow kind of uh, uh, fluttering of the heart might not be there, but everything else should intensify. That's a healthy marriage. With Jesus as well, maybe it's, it's, it, it should, he should never feel boring. It should never be so familiar. Oh, Jesus, the guy who died on a cross for my sins and resurrected, and we, we do Lord's Supper every Sunday. And it's, it's so routine almost. It's like a marriage with two people who are estranged living in separate rooms. Jesus says, I don't want that kind of relationship. I want us to share everything. I want intensity, affection. I want your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Please understand who I am because if you understand me, you'll be drawn to me even more and put all of your strength, all do the best you can to love me with all of your strength. The greatest commandment is to love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In relationships, uh, if we try to apply what Jesus is saying about uh, our relationship with Him to other relationships, it's not a perfect correlation. But if you try to apply it to other human relationships, uh, if one of these components is missing, then the relationship will suffer. If your heart is not with your child, I think the child knows it. You know? if if your affections are not there and expressed to the child the child feels it the distance if 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 the if the thoughts and the understanding of how the child is unique and different and maybe doesn't fit the plan that i have if you don't get to understand who the child is the child feels it if the parent is not doing that if if i'm not trying my best as a father the child understands and thinks well i'm not that important to my to my dad. So even in human relationships, if any of these components is missing, the, the, the relationship suffers. A child knows it instinctively. Like, is, is my parents' heart close to me? They know it. You can say, oh, I, um, I love you, but, but they understand instinctively whether the heart is there or not. It, it's without words. Uh, is there affection in this parental-child relationship? The child feels it. Is, 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 do, do the parents think about me in the right way? Am I accepted for who I am? Or am I neglected? Or am I uh, underperforming in the eyes of my parent? The child understands instinctively all these things. Oh, so if, if any of these components is not working optimally, the relationship suffers. The parent, are they trying their best when they make a mistake? Do they admit it? Uh, Do they try again to do better, to be better? The child sees it all. You don't have to to communicate anything. It's just the child instinctively knows. The child knows, am I loved for who I am? Am I accepted unconditionally? Isn't that the basis of a parental child relationship? A child knows when a love is conditional, when, when there's a tiger mom looking like hovering over me and, 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 and looking past me and, and not really connecting with the child. They're looking at the child and projecting something upon the child, like one day you will be a trophy that I will parade around to my family and friends. The child knows whether it's a deep heart-to-heart connection or the parent is looking past the child to some projection, some boasting, and it's just an extension of the parent a parent's view of himself or herself. And so if any of this is missing, heart, soul, mind, and strength, even a little child knows it. And so all of our relationships will suffer if the heart is not there, if the soul, affection, is not there, if the mind, understanding of the other side is not there, if the strength to do everything I can to love is not there, the other side will feel it. Going back to the tiger mom, imagine a mom applying the verse that Jesus says applies only to me, heart with all of your heart, absolute heart, absolute soul, absolute mind, absolute strength. Imagine a a tiger mom that doesn't know Jesus and doesn't know Jesus is the object of this absolute heart, soul, mind, and strength and tries to pour it out to a little child and, and everything is, is into the success of this little boy. Little Johnny is an Asian male. He has to go to Harvard, this tiger mom says. What if Johnny is not that bright? It doesn't matter. For the mom, Harvard's the goal, right? He has to learn the alphabet the fastest. He has to start reading before everyone else does. He has to memorize the multiplication tables years before everyone else all the parents here are laughing because you understand we have a little bit of that in all of us right after a while the child is no longer a person the mom is looking past the child she only sees Harvard one day once the child uh, gets into Harvard I will be able to brag to everybody that's really the name of the game and the child without you saying anything, instinctively knows, oh, the heart, soul, mind, and strength of my parent is not with me. I have a good marriage, but am I supposed to love Jackie with my, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Absolute everything, Jackie only. Is that, supposed to, is that the way it's supposed to be? Like if you're a non-Christian and you're in love, maybe that's all of your hope goes into the spouse perhaps. From morning to night, if it's me, am I just thinking about Jackie, Jackie, Jackie? So if I'm I'm thinking, how can I serve her? All my affections are for her. I don't care about anybody else. And so I ignore my kids. I have nothing left in my tank because absolutely everything goes only to Jackie. If five of us... Me, Jackie, the three boys were, were in a boat. The boat is sinking. I only try to save Jackie. Boys, you're on your own because if you drown, I will have more children. So is that, think of how strange that is to try to apply this, this greatest commandment, love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Imagine pouring out everything into another human being. It doesn't work. The reason why it doesn't work it's first of all, you don't have enough in the tank to love anyone properly. And the other person, if they don't know Jesus, is not a kind of person that is a proper recipient of this absolute everything of, your, of who you are. And you, as the one who's pouring it all out, you will be utterly disappointed if you're pouring it out to the wrong person. People who idolize a person, a spouse, child, whomever, you're either going to damage the person, like the example of the tiger mom, or you'll be utterly disappointed because you pour out and it's like, a, it's like the, the bucket on the other side is leaking. You just keep pouring it out, it's never enough. You keep pouring out, it's never enough. So many marriages end in divorce. Because one party is putting all of the hope in the other. People who don't know Jesus puts all of their hope in the other person. And the other person is like you. They're sinful, they're imperfect, they're limited. So what happens? Inevitably you get disappointed. And so your heart used to go to that person, it's no longer going to that person, it goes to your job, it goes to another person, eventually. They file for divorce. The relationships in the Bible, God is very wise. He puts boundaries upon relationships. It's not cookie cutter. And you can go back to a book like Ephesians that I mentioned, like Ephesians 5. Very specific how a husband is supposed to love a wife. Very specific how a wife is supposed to love her husband. Ephesians chapter 6, children, you're supposed to do this with your parents. Obey them in the Lord, not just obey them, just just everything, only obey them in the Lord. When they're speaking on the Lord's behalf, obey them, if they're trying to do uh, with the Lord's guidance. Uh, And honor them, regardless of what kind of parent they are. Honor all parents, uh, that is our duty, as children. That's in Ephesians 6, children. Uh, To to parents and then parents to children, specifically fathers, do not anger your children, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So every relationship is unique. It even talks about employees and employers. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Not because you're pleasing them, but you're doing it unto the Lord. Everything is unto the Lord. And same with the bosses of these employers. Don't threaten them because remember who is above you. Remember who is your boss. You have the same master of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but what I want to point out is every relationship is unique. We don't love every person in our life, children, spouse, parents, the same way. The love has some boundaries, right? So we're never supposed to pour out everything to another human being. You're supposed to love in a very particular way, depending on the relationship of that person to you. Only Jesus, and I want to underscore this point, only Jesus is is the object of your absolute heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only Jesus, only Jesus. For most people, Uh, They don't quite understand. They don't even try to pour out everything to another person because they're self-centered, most people. So I think there's only one other thing that somebody may pour out everything to and love that thing more than Jesus. And Jesus himself warns us of what that is. It's in Matthew 6, verse 19, and I'll read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. See that word heart? Like where is your heart uh, moving toward? In this case, it's whatever you treasure. If you treasure Jesus, guess what? Your heart is close to Jesus if you treasure money guess what your heart is not with jesus it has drifted to the only other counterfeit god in this world which we'll read about in a second which is money it says in verse 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money So there's really only two major gods in this world. Capital G God, Jesus Christ. We serve him and him alone. Or lowercase g God, counterfeit God, which is money. Money has that ability to require absolutely all of us. Absolutely all of our heart. Wherever the treasure is, there your heart is absolutely all of your mental energy, your affections, your strength, all of your abilities. If we're not careful, easily, lowercase g, God can become your God and my God. That is Jesus' warning. And so how does he counsel such people knowing that this is the pitfall for most of humanity? He says in verse 25, Or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You might read a verse like this and say, well, should we all become pastors? Shall we all become missionaries? Do we all have to live in poverty? Do we all have to rely upon the Lord 100% for all the provisions? That would be a little unreasonable, right? But in the the lot that God has assigned to you, with the amount of energy and time that you have left over at the end of a day, which is different depending on your job, Jesus says, Love me first with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says that's why it's first. That's why he says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. It is greatest, seek Jesus first. Financially, God's promise to all of us is our needs are covered. It's his promise to all of his children. He says in verse 32, the father knows that you need them all so all of your needs the father knows about it's all covered it's guaranteed doesn't mean you'll live in a a rich home doesn't mean you'll be able to go on every vacation that you ever wanted drive the car of your dreams but god's promise to his children if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness if you love the lord jesus your god with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Father's guarantee from heaven is all of your needs guaranteed will be met. None of you will starve. None of you will be homeless and have no clothing. All of you, maybe renters, but all of you, your needs from the Father, he guarantees that they'll be met. And I'm living proof of that. Very verse I've had lean years I've had better years but always the Lord comes through all my needs always from the Lord have been provided it's always in different ways in different seasons maybe at some point I will be doing this full-time no other job but for now doing bivocational that's okay but my needs always always have been met when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that is the first and greatest. So in the interest of time, let me just wrap up quickly the second portion, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. We know the story. Luke chapter 10 is the famous story of the, the Good Samaritan. Jesus is saying this parable of the Good Samaritan to a lawyer, and this is not a, a US lawyer. This is a lawyer, the, the, the Bible is the law, and so is that kind of a lawyer. Again, these are scribes and lawyers that are all religious leaders, Pharisees. They're experts at the, at the Torah, the Old Testament. And this lawyer is putting Jesus to the test because Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this lawyer is trying to justify himself. He says, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus gives him this parable, and this, this, this man is attacked by robbers, left for half dead on the side of the road. A priest passes him by, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't come to his, come to his aid. A, a Levite also sees him, passes his by, and a good Samaritan, who was an enemy of the Jews at the time, this person came, took care of him, and nursed him back to health. And of course, this, if in a spiritual sense, This is a parable about Jesus because all of us, spiritually speaking, were dead, left for dead on the side of the road in our sin, hopeless, cut off from God. But Jesus, our good Samaritan, came and met us, saved us, and and by his wounds, he he covered our wounds. He forgave us and he restored us. And so spiritually, that is the first obvious uh, uh, application of this text. But it ends with, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. If you're a pedestrian, you walked across the street, somebody did a hit and run, and you're lying dead, half dead, unconscious on the side of the road. What kind of neighbor are you looking for? You're looking for somebody who is going to stop what they're doing and, and call 911 and, and be by your side to make sure no other car hits you and, and just do whatever it takes to make sure you make it to the hospital, call the hospital, make sure you're safe. You want that kind of a neighbor, somebody who shows mercy. And what is our greatest need? And this is my, this is an answer to my question that I said at the outset. What is the relationship between the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment? And the Lord gave me this answer this week, that I can't or you can, not none of us can, do the second greatest commandment until we do the first. If you don't love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, when this kind of situation arises, you, will, you or I will be among the two-thirds of the people who will pass by someone in need of mercy. Only if you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength do you start seeing people as, as those who are in need of mercy. Everybody is in a different place socioeconomically uh, in terms of their life. Situation, in terms of their family background, in terms of their spiritual journey, everybody's in a different place. You might be in a better place than other people, you might be in a worse place than other people. But at a just general principle, Jesus says, Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you see others, what do others need? They need mercy. There may be a time when you are on the mat and you are out of commission, when you are not doing spiritually well, at that point, what is your greatest need? Oh, people to look at you, point fingers, say, what's wrong with you, to curse you, to judge you? Or do you need people like friends who come alongside of you to pick up the mat and bring you to Jesus in prayer? That is mercy. You need friends like this. We need to be this kind of a neighbor to somebody else. But how can we consistently... Step out to a world full of needs when there's so much need for mercy out there. How can we do this? It is impossible humanly because we don't have enough in our tank. But if you love the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he fills you with his love and compassion and mercy, and you're a recipient of this, there's a little bit left over in the tank every time you see a need. And you say, oh, let me be like Jesus to this person. Jesus did it to me. Other people in the body of Christ did it for me. They showed me mercy. It's now my turn to be a neighbor. You can't do the second greatest commandment until you master the first. That's why it is the first. That's why it is the most important. That's why it is the greatest. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us a charge for 2024. You give us two clear commandments that are the greatest. You first ask us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You want our hearts to be close to you and not far. So Lord, if our heart is far from you, Lord Jesus, on this day we repent. And we ask that we humbly seek you from our heart. We want to have a heart-to-heart connection with you. We want our soul to love you with all of our affections. Lord, we never want to grow bored of you. We never want to become so familiar with you. We never want to become more interested in something else, somebody else. We want our eyes to be fixed on, on, on the object of our affection, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to understand who you are with all of our mind. We're to come to know the greatness and the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And Paul says, everything else in comparison feels like rubbish. Lord, we want to have that kind of an understanding of how great you are so that we can pour out all of our mind to you and all of our strength. Everything we can do on our part, our abilities. Lord, we're going to try our best in 2024 to love you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, once we are Doing this on a regular basis, being filled up with compassion and love, Lord, we go out into this world to love neighbors, primarily to show mercy, where mercy needs to be shown. And there are so many people in need of mercy. They don't need much, they just need our kind words, they need us to understand them, they don't want us to judge them, they don't want us to be afraid of them we don't want to be bothered by them we want to be attentive to notice when there's a need that can be met in our neighborhoods in our workplaces in our families help us to be attentive when there's someone who is in need of mercy who crosses paths with us thank you lord pray that you meet us as we as we partake in the lord's supper we thank you for your body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed thank you for being our good Samaritan and patching up our wounds and forgiving our sins and giving us a new life. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After you've spent some time praying to the Lord, uh, if, if the Lord allows you and if you desire to partake in the Lord's Supper with us, it'll be here. Please do so at your own time.